For many people today, healthcare feels like we're behind enemy lines. The system is geared to take care of us, but why do we feel like we're in it alone? Everyday stories are a powerful way to shine light on the gaps that make it feel this way. I'd like to welcome you to Everyone Hates Healthcare, where we bring you real people's healthcare stories, unfiltered. And now your host, Michael Swartz. Welcome back, everybody. I am super pumped about this next guest. Dave Chase, he is the creator, founder, leader of Health Rosetta. He was named one of the most influential people in digital health. And that's something that I can actually back up myself. As he, since the beginning of my journey into healthcare, uh, he's been an influence on the way I look at healthcare. And I think it was beginning of 2008. 18, I had a board member who came to our offices and comes in, turns to me and says, Michael, have you read the book, The CEO's Guide to Restoring the American Dream? I said, no, I have not. He's like, it is the best healthcare book. And my recommendation is you read it. Next week, I had a book delivered and I start going through and it's by this author, Dave Chase. And I remember the first chapter and it was America has gone or for less. And then I just kept on going and it was one of the first times uh, I've really seen somebody who looked at the system in such a broken way, the same way that I felt when I lost my insurance. And I followed Dave ever since from his TEDx talk, healthcare sold the American dream and how we take it back to his work fixing the healthcare system, the broken healthcare system with the work he's doing at Health Rosetta. And I got to say, I'm so excited to have him here. So welcome to the show, Dave. Well, thanks for that great introduction. Yeah, that was a pretty provocative uh, first chapter title, right? I mean, and I think I made a fact-based argument backing that up that we've gone to war for less than what healthcare has done to America. That certainly isn't what we'd expect. It is not what you expect, especially when a board member says, this is the best healthcare book. But I have to say the the book, the way you talk, about healthcare, the way you showed, use data to back up things, claims, and giving actionable insights on how employers can fix it. It was really eye-opening to me. So I got I to gotta ask you, Dave, what, what led you, like, how did you, what was that moment that you're interact with the healthcare system and you realized it was so broken. Like how, how did, where did that come from? Well, it really started with a personal situation and then sort of crystallized when I zoomed out and realized my situation wasn't actually that unique. And, you know, 
boiling it down, unfortunately, by the time I was in my late thirties, I'd had 10 friends my age or younger die. And not all of them related to the healthcare system, but some of them did. And the last one uh, was particularly rough where it was a complete system failure and it ruined my friend financially, physically, emotionally, ultimately, you know, leaving behind a 10 year old daughter as a single mom. And this was a complete system failure. And I'd realized, you know, of course I didn't want to contribute to this, but I'd been a part of the system at some level, uh, really on the technology side and the way I was raised, you see a wrong, you don't do something about it, you're complicit. And so I was trying to find some something good that could come out of this terrible situation. Um, and, you know, her, just to give you a little bit on the specifics, uh, she got the wrong diagnosis, uh, wrong cancer diagnosis. And guess what? That happens one out of five times in the status quo system. If you're not getting the people, I mean, it's like, get your, your hand out, you know, one of those fingers is gone, right? Wrong diagnosis. Of course, you're going to get the wrong treatment plan. Um, and you're not going to have a good outcome. And even when the diagnosis is correct, when you send people to set true centers of excellence, like a Mayo Clinic, they change the treatment plan 40% of the time. And it just turns out that's not that unique. This is happening all over. And this is what we're getting, you know, even while we spend absurd amounts of money. And so it really put me on this quest to unpack what is going on here and why is this so bad? And, and the fact that this is not a unique experience. And kind of during this journey, one of the real crystallizing moments for me kind of relates to that chapter uh, was I woke up March 9th, 2016. And I don't know if you can take, you know, your, your listeners can take themselves back to what was going on during that time period. You know, that, that was a, that's a presidential campaign time. And that was the morning after the Michigan primary. I woke up, looked at the news I was like, what the heck is going on here? Bernie and Trump won? <laughs> this isn't normal, right? Um, and uh, and it was the first time I really remember hearing this term populism. And I'm like, gosh, you know, what exactly is populism? You've kind of heard of that. And when does it rise? Well, it tends to rise when there's economic depression. Well, what exactly is economic depression? Kind of know what that is. There's a couple of different few different definitions. Well, one of them is two years or more of wage stagnation and decline. And by that point, I understood that the healthcare system had stolen 20, actually close to 30 years of wage gains by that point in time. You know, employers are spending much more money than they were 30 years ago on, you know, payroll and benefits. The problem is, for the working and middle class, more than half the workforce, it had all gotten stolen by the healthcare system. You know, and if if our, you know, I, and I wouldn't say stolen if our life lifespans and well being had dramatically improved. That might have been a fair trade off. But 
fact is our lifespans are going down. We're the only developed, I, mean, I think the only country in the world that that's actually happening. And you look at that economic depression for 30 years for the working and middle class, like, oh my gosh, that's like way longer than the Great Depression. That's like twice as long as, you know, 1930s Germany, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to have some crazy stuff happen. doesn't make it right when people do this nutty stuff, and we've seen it since then. Um, but it explains it, right? And so that was really uh, a big part of like, oh my God, like I know what I've got to do with the rest of my life. Um, you know, it's really the, you know, I'm called to do this. I have to do it. And, and I kind of joked along the way where like, on the one hand, we have this kind of dystopian reality that I went through in that chapter, um, and it's not just the wage gains being stolen. You have record levels of burnout. Really, it should be called moral injury of clinicians, you know, doctors and nurses and even suicide. So it's, it's ripples into many different areas. Um, it's terrible. On the other hand, like that Ted talk, you mentioned, you look at what Rosen hotels is doing which we can get into if you want, yeah. it's utopia by comparison, right? It's unbelievable, you know? And the, you know, the subtitle of that book was how to deliver world-class healthcare to your employees at half the cost. Like that sounds like some goofy, you know, infomercial, like it's actually happening and they've been doing it for 30 years. So it's not some fluke. And guess what? They are in the most price gouging state in the union, Florida like 40% of the most price gouging hospitals in America are in Florida, seven out of the top 10 in really? Florida. So That's they've my done ba- it. My backyard that. too. My backyard. Yeah. And I had no idea. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Amazing what they've accomplished. And guess what? The really challenging uh, kind of disease burden with that workforce, you know, just to give you one data point of something that could normally be a budget buster is high-risk pregnancies. 56% of their pregnancies in their 5,000, 6,000-person workforce um, are high-risk pregnancies. That could be a budget buster. And early on in the journey, it was until they fixed it. And now they have got world-class health outcomes for the mom's the the babies and you know obviously it's broader than just the pregnancies um, but that's just a, a good example of it, it's not like they just have a bunch of you know vegan you know triathletes you know in their workforce that would be maybe easy to spend less than half of what others spend um, so yeah it's out there the solutions are out there and you know candidly you know when I wrote that book I had to dig hard you know I have this kind of tongue in cheek um, description in my LinkedIn. I, I call myself the chief archaeologist because um, I just went digging, you know, for the solutions and, you know, torturing the Rosetta Stone metaphor a little bit. Um, and uh, today, you know, we actually published kind of a follow up to that book, which is the CEOs who restored the American dream. We had to stop at 100 pages of case study. There's so many organizations they're doing like what Rosen is doing, uh, large and small public and private sector, every corner of the country, 
rural and urban settings, there's basically no place it hasn't been proven. It's not the mainstream yet, right? That's that remains our next challenge. Um, but now we've proven we can replicate this in any number of settings. So it's not aspiration, it's reality. And the question is, do you want to make it your reality or not if you're uh, wanting to solve healthcare? So if, if a listener is an employer, um, they you know started a business, is there a certain size that this works for or is it only large companies small companies all companies um if you're over five uh you have some good options um it's more challenging but there's actually some options if you're under five employees um but it it gets easier for sure as you get bigger to a degree if you're over 25 to 50 gets even easier get over 100 even easier. Um, but you know, we're a small organization ourselves. We got to walk the talk. You know, we're, we've got about 10 or 12 people on, you know, employees on our plan and, and we can follow this blueprint. It's just, it's a little more challenging. You gotta be a little more creative, gotta work with the right folks. Um, you really gotta work with the right folks regardless, but, um, yeah. So if if you're smaller, again, there's some options there, but it, it gets tougher when you get under five, but you know, most organizations are over five. No, it's, it's, that's great to hear because I, I think the number is 99% of all businesses in America are small business. Now, I think that small is yep. 200 and less, um, yep. but it's significant. Uh, so knowing that they have an option uh, is massive for them. So let's say I'm an employer and I am just decided, hey, I am going to finally offer health benefits. I'm going to bite the bullet because I need to recruit uh, new talent. You know, it's a tough time. So you need to save any every penny. And yeah. what, how, how do they go about, how would they go about finding their way? Because, you know, there's insurance, there's Affordable Care Act, there's working with, you know, how, how do you, where do they go? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm biased, right? I think that what I what we found and why it became the tip of the spear of our movement, you know, which we really just, you know, I think of as launching a social movement. The tip of the spear for us was we accredited these people that are called sometimes benefits broker, benefits advisor, benefits consultant. Um, I actually wrote a piece in Forbes uh, entitled this job could save America. It's probably the most underestimated role in the entire U S economy, certainly the healthcare system, because they're the ones who put in the health plans at their best, they're worth their weight in gold. And so those are the people that we accredit. Um, you can go to healthrosetta.org slash map, and you can find folks on a map near you. So you really need to do that. It's, it's, especially if you're small, I mean, if you're whatever, some fortune 50 company, maybe you could bring it in house, but most people need to rely on outside expertise. These are the people that are aligned. Uh, you know, they've trained, you know, in our model, they've got the tools at their disposal. And probably the first thing that I would ask them is, Hey, uh, cause most of them are providing some benefits. You know, I would, uh, you know, maybe argue they're, uh, 
better title health detriment than health benefit because yeah. you know the most of the workforce has a deductible that's higher than the people's life savings so they're afraid to even use their health plan um but so assuming they've had a health plan before you know most want like where am i at what could i do what is the low hanging fruit uh and we thought it was weird that here we have trillions of dollars to spend every year and these health plans, right. That, you know, just, just the employer space has about 160 million Americans get their health care through their employer. Um, we thought it was weird that there was no objective mark of value of health plans. Um, and so the beauty of this movement we created, you have all these smart people, the Rosens, the, the particular benefits advisors who are kind of the template for the program, they essentially poured their intellectual property and experience into our community. And we've made sense out of it. And, uh, you know, you don't have to be a healthcare walk to understand, you know, a 20 out of a hundred is not a great score. You know, it's like, I sometimes draw an analogy with like fair trade, you know, or, uh, the lead building standards. Like, I don't know about, uh, you know, indigenous people of South American rainforest ecosystems, you know, in Eastern Africa, but I understand that pretty sure they're not destroying the environment and they're not using child or slave labor to get that fair trade certification. Or, you know, I don't know building design and building materials, but I'm pretty sure a, a lead gold building, you know, is better than one that's got no certification. So it's kind of like that, where uh, there's questions that we now know we've, we've essentially marinated in this for about five years behind the scenes, we would score plans from these advisors in the community. And it was essentially a hypothesis of if you answer the questions in this way, you're going to have this or that outcome. And what you see in healthcare is most people are looking in the rear view mirror to try to drive down the road. That doesn't work very well. You know, to look at your claims in the past, well, that horse has already left the barn you need to have a clear windshield and look ahead. And so these are essentially leading indicators that you're going to have a high performance health plan. Um, and, and if you answer these questions, a lot of them are kind of process questions. Um, we put it to the test and five years later, we're very confident that you have a high score. You're going to have a good experience, even in quote a bad claims year. And I can give you an example of that. Uh, or if you have a low score, chances are you're going to probably have what's happening to a lot of people right now. They're just, their rates got jacked in like the last 20 years. What open enrollment means at most employers is, Hey, great news, Michael, uh, you're going to pay more and you're going to get less, be happy. Um, you know, that's just not acceptable. Um, and so to give you an idea of, uh, what this means is, one of the advisors that we kind of model us on, you know, one of his employers, um, they five years ago were spending over $8 million on health benefits for their 700 employees. Uh, the last two years, you know, probably this will be the third year, it'll probably be similar. Uh, they spent under three and a half million while benefits improved. And I, how did they improve? Well, 
They go to centers of excellence. They don't have cost sharing on the members when they choose when members choose the centers of excellence. Things like that, you know, for a, a low margin, slow growth manufacturer, I asked the CFO, "What would you have to do to increase, you know, to have that improvement in your bottom line? It should improve their bottom line, you know, four and a half, five million. In fact." They would have expected to be at over 10 million at this point, and they're under three and a half million. Um, he's like, Oh, we would have had to increase top line sales revenue 25, 30%. Like that's super oh. hard. Um, and and last year was a bad year in terms of they had a couple cancers, they had a really severe heart condition that ultimately the employee uh died. So it's but and so they couldn't really control that, but they could control where they went and um, getting high quality and not getting wrong diagnoses, things like that. So despite what would be called a bad claims year, they still didn't go over three and a half million. So that's the type of thing. If you get in front of it, you know, let's put those hard-earned dollars back into the pockets of the working middle class, not basically Wall Street, which is really where the dollars have gone the last 20, 30 years. I mean, you look at the the stock price of these carriers, it looks like Amazon's stock price growth. It's unbelievable. And and one of the points I make is they're, they're not really insurance companies. Like yeah. a real insurance company, when there's like a hurricane or you know something like that, they have a their earnings are bad, right? They they take losses. Uh, you look during the pandemic, right? That's the equivalent of sort of a hurricane, that's when they had their biggest profits, right? That's how backwards our system is. So, there, you know, there's details as to why that is, but that gives you a little idea of how upside down our system is. The people that are the bedrock of our system, like primary care, early in the pandemic, they were getting brutalized, right? Because of the perverse incentives. Like, they're the, they're the ones who should be, do you know, not having to worry about can they keep their doors open because their revenue um, fell off a cliff and it's sitting in big carriers, bank accounts. Like that's again, how backwards our system's been. So you're telling me that right now, the system, not just the everyday, the middle-class American, but you know, even the doctors uh, the providers, the primary care providers, they're in a system that's broken to them too. I mean, I, I think not enough people think about that. Uh, and I think our primary care providers or just healthcare providers in general, sometimes they get the blame for some of the craziness that goes on. Yeah, no, it's a very deft move. Because, you know, yes, they do, relative to the average American, they are well compensated, um, some of them. <laughs> um, of course, that sometimes forgotten, they have these massive debts. They'll have three, four hundred, five hundred thousand dollar medical school debt. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, we the things that actually work and are cost effective, which is we know what those are. That's what's in our framework. That's what's why, uh, you know, Pacific Steel and Recycling is a company I was just mentioning, or Rosen Hotels. They know the things that actually work are like primary care, physical therapy, 
mental health services, right? These things actually work, but there's not big margin in those things. Guess what? There's a lot of margin in pills and surgeries. And so, you know, my second book, the one after that CEO's guide was called the opioid crisis wake up call. It looked at the healthcare system through the prism of that. And, you know, the, the sad reality is the first 20 years of the opioid crisis was funded and fueled by employer health plans. That's where, and even to this day, the U.S. standard health plan prescribes opioids opioids at five times the rate of other countries. Uh, not in the good health plans. Rosen is at like, uh, they're at one-sixth of the level of the typical U.S. employer, even though they have physically demanding jobs. But in their um, primary care model, yeah, they've got a health coach, they got PT, they've got, of course, the doctors and the nurses, right? They're there and they go out into the workplace and, you know, teach maids how to lift mattresses properly. And, you know, they got maintenance workers who have got demanding jobs. They just go upstream, like it's not complicated stuff. Um, but if you just wait to prescribe, you know, what happens? You know, even though there's, you take lower back pain, right? That's something that most people can understand because 80% of adults will ca- have a, a bad back episode at some point. Second most common reason people go to the doctor. You know how much evidence there is that opioids are effective for lower back pain? Zero. Even though lower back pain is the number one driver of disability, the number one driver of um, uh, opioid prescriptions, uh, at best, it masks pain in the short term while you run the risk of becoming addicted. It's like Russian roulette. One out of six people, if they're on opioids for a week, will become addicted. Um, while the underlying problem that caused that pain, you know, it's a mechanical problem. When you think about it, your body is kind of a structure, uh, and they're throwing a chemical issue at it. It's like your your wheels are out of alignment of your car and they put STP in your, your, uh, you know, fuel tank, right? It's not going to solve the problem. Um, and, and so guess what, you know, for standard lower back pain, PT is far more effective. And, and then, you know, surgery is a whole other kettle of fish. It's really bad. We could go into that if you wanted to, too. Um, it's just incredible amounts of over treatment, inappropriate care, that, uh, you know, if you look at a, the situation in Florida, you know, a hospitalization, I call it a health hurricane, right? Just like a real hurricane, you're vulnerable, it's scary, uh, you know, you, you just don't know what to do. And in a real hurricane, uh, it's against the law to price gouge. But in health hurricanes, in these vulnerable moments, we allow hospitals to price gouge. Well, it's impossible to price gouge on a surgery that never happened, an ER visit that never happened, and over half of them aren't uh, appropriate. And so that's when you get, in fact, in a great primary care setting, 90% of the issues that people into the healthcare system for can be fully addressed in a proper primary care setting. That's not what most Americans are used to experiencing. Um, you know, primary care has just become kind of a loss leader to get you to overpriced 
stuff um, inside of the health system. That's why a lot of the mega health systems have gobbled up primary care. So these are very, you know, it's not like it's a state secret. There's no well-functioning healthcare system in the world not built on proper primary care. We just make sure that, you know, we recognize that healthcare is actually not expensive, you know, like, wait, that doesn't sound right. Um, well, what do you what do you call healthcare? What I call healthcare is what the nurses and doctors do and the other clinicians. Uh, they only actually get 27 cents of every dollar ostensibly spent on healthcare. What's expensive is profiteering, price gouging, administrative bloat, fraud, and inappropriate care. These plans just choose to not pay for that or minimize it. And then healthcare is not expensive at all. And that's why you can literally spend half what people are spending with far superior health plans. That's actually a reality today. Uh, it's just not the mainstream yet. I think for me, being a Floridian, that hurricane uh, metaphor is, is crazy. And I think, uh, you know, over the past three, four years for myself, just listening to you kind of explain some of these things, I think to myself, how is this legal? Like, how is some of this legal? Because it's trying to stay healthy and well. Like, how did, how did everything get so out of whack is the real question. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, you read my book. It explains a fair amount of that. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, yes. it's, it's, a, it's a complicated story of perverse incentives um, and opaque markets and um, lack of transparency. And, you know, the good news is, and this is also a, a warning for employers, is there was a law that was passed and an executive order that there are two separate things, but they kind of play off each other that have just come into effect. In fact, the last bit to fully come into effect will be December 27th, 2022. Um, but most of it's in effect. Most employers aren't aware of this. Um, these laws have triggered the largest ramp up of Department of Labor um, enforcement, who, you know, they are the ones who oversee employee health plans. And so, you know, it's a longer story, but basically the de facto uh, fourth branch of government is class action attorneys. And this is basically unlocking what happened to retirement benefits about a decade ago, where there were similar sorts of abuses in the retirement space. Uh, some of the class action attorneys and firms got into this. There's been unanimous verdicts at the Supreme Court level that have fundamentally changed retirement benefits. Guess what? The same law that oversees retirement benefits, it's called ERISA, overseas health benefits. So we're we're now having that unlock. And it, it won't happen all overnight, but it's really good news that these laws will um, require disclosure where it was allowed to keep this stuff secret. That was actually a founding principle of Health Rosetta was these benefits advisors had to fully disclose direct and indirect compensation, which you know to us felt like motherhood and apple pie but it was a 180 from the industry. Well, that's now the law of the land. Um, and so we had a, a very significant influence on that. And it's just common sense. That's the way it should be. You know, that yeah. if you, you know, an employer put their, you know, employees 
you know, 401k into uncle Bubba's, you know, retirement fund that had high fees and terrible returns, you'd get sued. Well, now, you know, if you're an uncle Bubba's health plan, that's got high fees and terrible returns, which is the norm, you should get sued, right? We hope to avoid that. Right. Um, but that's, that's what's coming. Um, and the bigger you are, the bigger the target on your back is as far as an employer. That's incredible. That's great to hear. Uh, so let's kind of bring it down to the individual, like the person, you know, a lot of employees, a lot of Americans, uh, they're at the mercy of their employer. Their employer could be the one that, you know, is potentially at risk because they're in uncle Bubba's health insurance plan. So yeah. What are the steps that, you know, any listeners that they're not the business owner, uh, they're an employee. Uh, what, what can they do? How can they take some of these same principles and just make healthcare less expensive for themselves? Yeah. I mean, there's, there are some tactical things you can do as an individual. Um, you know, there's a nonprofit um, called Dollar Four F O R that helps you know people with with bill assistance. There's a good book called Never Pay the First Bill by Marshall Allen. And so, if you're in a particular situation today, you know, and you can't fix the entire system, you know, or even your health plan, there's some good resources there. But you know, assuming you're not in sort of a medical crisis situation or getting hounded by hospital bill collectors, uh, the the reality is there is a, a demand for workers. And there is a problem that every employer in America really has. They think that solving healthcare is like trying to solve, you know, Middle East peace or something. Um, and as long as you think that, you know, you're right, you're not going to do anything about it, but it's not actually the case. So they could, you know, certainly give my book and we give free downloads. In fact, there's executive summaries for two of the books. You could give them the executive summary, you know, cause they're probably starved for time. Um, uh, you know, this book, hopefully get them interested and say, gosh, you know, shouldn't we go for a second opinion on our health plan? You know, when we have cancer, um, you know, we go for a second opinion. And I mean, it's, it's actually true that these health plans, like if you could put them in a pill, they'd be the blockbuster drug of the century. The, the health outcomes are so much better. So shouldn't we get a second opinion? And so that plan greater I mentioned earlier is that second opinion. Have somebody look at that. You don't have to go make the change. And, you know, if you dig in and like my last book, called Relocalizing Health, has a five-step plan for how you improve your health plan. And so you can go in there and look at that. Guess what? Four of the five steps are invisible to the member or only super clear positive. So sometimes, you know, the HR person go, oh, this, this might, you know, sounds like a lot of work or it sounds disruptive. Um, you know, putting aside, you know, what could be more disruptive than, um, you know, being the undisputed world leaders in medical bill driven bankruptcy and 70% of those people had insurance, right? That sounds pretty disruptive, but you know, I get it. It's change. Um, and so 
uh, they will find out it's, you know, A, they need to legally, um, and they'll be behind the eight ball if they don't. And it's a lot of their, these HR leaders don't even actually know that this law has been put in place because the people they've trusted um, to look out for them have a conflict of interest. Those people, that's a big red flag if they haven't told them, hey, there's this this bill that passed, which is driving the biggest change in employee health benefits since 1943. If you haven't been told that, hmm, you should be concerned. Unfortunately, you know, the, the reality is, maybe it's unfortunate, when you do ask for the thing that you're required by law now to do, which is report on direct and indirect compensation of your benefits broker. You know what it's doing? It's triggering some really uncomfortable conversations because we found up to 17 undisclosed revenue streams that brokers have been and their firms have been charging these. It's sort of triggering the business equivalent of finding out your spouse cheated on you or something like you really trusted these people. And that's uncomfortable to find that out, right? This is, this is an avoidable problem. And so you got to do something about it. Um, and so those would be some of the steps, get, get that second opinion, go to that healthrosetta.org slash map, get somebody to do a plan grader for you. And, and then you can chip away at it. You don't have to do it all at once. You know, most people don't rip off the entire bandaid, right? They just do it maybe over three years. Um, and, you know, the good news, you know, in air quotes, is the shenanigans are so extreme on some of these things, you can get savings right away. Like the drug procurement, like you don't have to change the formulary or where people pick up medications, although there's great opportunities there. Now it might be a next step, but you can do things that immediately can save people, save the company money and save people out of pocket costs. Like you can do that right out the chute. And when, Employees come back after they've been used to paying forty dollars every time or three hundred dollars, maybe on some expensive medication. All of a sudden, it's zero. They're pretty happy, right? That's how word of mouth starts to spread, and it kind of gets that virtuous cycle going. Like, oh wow, I didn't know, you know, it was that bad. And and when you do the plan greater, just we found people just reading the questions that we have in the plan greater is educational. Like, oh my gosh. I'd never even heard of that. I didn't know that is a thing. What does that mean? Right? There's a lot of tools that are there um, that are ready for you. Just take advantage of them. I think I think what you, what you guys have put together at Health Rosetta and the whole program, um, it, because I think something that uh, you said early on was uh, the the health insurance broker, the benefit advisor what they can do for, you know, our nation's healthcare by guiding employers, by guiding people. Uh, and then add on to the fact, you talk about this idea of no cost share. Uh, how much of, you know, I know myself, uh, if I feel like I'm scared to go in because I don't want to get some you know, bill in the mail that I can't even afford, how much more engagement utilization, like as an employee that's part of a plan who 
really makes it easy for people to uh, go get that first step of care, whether it's in the primary care. How it's, is there any statistics towards, towards that? Cause I know myself, I would, you know, be much more likely to go to the doctor, uh, when, Oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of statistics about the percentage of the population that avoids care because of the cost of care. Um, and, 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 but I will say just to pile on a little bit, another percentage that's really terrible is 40% of American adults, uh, which is, uh, have medical debt. A hundred million Americans have medical debt, which is largely hospital debt. Like that's a bad percentage, but then yeah, remove, we have these things. It's really goofy, right? Where the things that actually work and don't cost much money, like primary care, PT, mental health, we put cost barriers in when you could nip these things in the bud. And then when the things that actually cost the real money, um, like surgeries and hospitalizations, after the deductible, there's there's no controls put on the system at all. You're basically giving the healthcare system the unlimited corporate credit card to have a great party. And the reality is, like I gave the example of my friend with the cancer, the misdiagnosis rates go from 20% to in, in spinal things, spinal procedures are like 67%. And so the, you know, some of these mega health systems, uh, they may have pockets where they're world-class. You know, there's one in the Midwest that is uh, known for being great at cardiology and they are world-class at that. Um, but when you guide people to, uh, high value, some of their hospitals, when you talk about musculoskeletal procedures like knee and shoulder operations, back, all that, um, they're not only not world-class except what they're charging. Yeah. They're charging like they're world-class because their marketing says we're world-class in this, you know, best in this. Um, I wouldn't send my worst enemy to them. They have high rates of hospital acquired infections. And so the nice thing here is if you chase quality, like I want to get the right diagnosis on the cancer. I want to go to the, the place that has the lowest infection rates and they're doing you know, the surgeon's done 5,000 procedures. Like you don't want to go to a hospital in July when the new docs just get in there and they're doing their first surgeries on their own, right? You want to go to the one that's done 5,000 surgeries. And, and so, you know, the way it should work and the way our plans work is when you go to high value, why would you put a barrier, whether it's proactive stuff like primary care or somebody who's has exceptional health outcomes for surgeries, why would you put a barrier on that? Put a barrier on the places where they're price gouging. Um, that's where there should be high deductibles, not for the good stuff. Such a simple concept right there. It's such, it's, yeah. it's so, I, I, we've lost sight. I think, uh, you know, I don't know if, how many of the listeners have ever seen uh, a sheet of billing codes from some of these doctors. Uh, 
it's, it's just crazy. What you're doing with your plan is much more. It sounds like these plans are really personalized for you to get the right type of care. Uh, and you incentivize them to go to those. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to throw out another metaphor, like if you're, you have a, a complicated thing, you know, medically, uh, this is like climbing Everest, right? This is scary. It's fraught. You could fall into some medical crevasses, get caught in some gnar- gnarly storms. Nobody would climb Everest without a Sherpa, right? you got to have that. Likewise, we're throwing people to the wolves. This is scary stuff. You know, you need somebody to guide you that is not conflicted. And so, you know, one of the things we call it individual stewardship. Some people will call it like nurse concierge navigator or somebody who's unconflicted financially, just wants you to get to the right care, knows how to read quality reports, knows what appropriate measures, uh, appropriateness measures are like, you know, is it appropriate to get a surgery for this type of thing or whatever? Um, like, no, you know, normal people don't know these things, yeah. right? You need somebody to help you on that. Um, and, you know, the way these plans work was like, hey, okay, you know, you've got three options here. You know, they're all high quality. If you choose any of those three options, different surgeons, different hospitals, whatever, you're going to pay zero. Like, you don't have to be some healthcare wonk to understand that. And um, you're going to pay zero because they have the best outcomes. And you have the best outcomes. You don't have readmissions. You don't have, you know, you have, I'm sure you probably know people who've had multiple back surgeries. I mean, you look at, you know, here's right in your backyard, you know, Tiger Woods or Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors coach. They, they did not get, they theoretically had access to the best surgeons, but they were not getting appropriate care. Um, I mean, I get why when it feels like there's a knife in your back, you'd want surgery. But that doesn't solve it for the vast, vast, vast majority of the time. And so you want to get to those people who've got the right outcomes for your particular procedure, um, not just generally. Um, so these are the types of things just makes it a lot easier. We want rather than walking, you know, into the healthcare systems like walking through some minefield and got all these trap doors, you know, which is kind of what it feels like. You want to have somebody who's going to step you through and keep you out of harm's way and get you to the the best possible health outcome that you could achieve. And, and it sounds like, uh, you know, for us to really, as a nation, just bring down the cost, it's going to take multiple constituents in the system from the employer to the doctor, to the health plans, to the brokers, uh, it's going to take really a combined effort to all be looking to take those right steps. Yeah, it is. It is a multi-player, you know, multi-party ecosystem. Um, fortunately, there's good people in every segment of the of the ecosystem. Those folks should all be a hundred times bigger. Yes, than they are. So that's what we're we're kind of a market maker in a way where we bring together these great doctors and nurses and surgeons and PTs, right? They're wonderful. There's great data on that. 
we want to steer things their way. And then, you know, we started, you know, we have about 5 million lives that the advisors are stewarding. That's a meaningful number and that's a good starting point, right? And what happens is it's healthcare is very local. So like, you know, an example that I love is, you know, Ashtabula, Ohio, it's in Northeast Ohio, you know, five years ago, they were square one. It started with one employer, 38 lives, and then several employers, 535 lives. And then, you know, they the folks driving that kind of pulled their foot off the gas a little bit because they're like, oh, wow, we, we're going to really grow. We got to build our infrastructure. Even so, they still more than doubled to 1,340 lives. They're going to wrap up this year at about 3,000 lives. And it went from you know, pushing this boulder up the hill, convincing people that this is real and it can be done and it's safe and it's way better to now, um, there's no pushback. You know, they just want what Bob, you know, the next employer just wants what Bob and Sally have down the street. In fact, it's gone from private sector to the county, the school district, the city. Um, the school district one really drove word of mouth because May, 2021, um, this is the eighth poorest Count school district in the state of Ohio. Despite that, they you know largely supported their schools, but the levy failed. That would have been a disaster normally. Schools closed, programs cut, these types of things. Um, but fortunately, only eleven months before they'd put in one of these health Rosetta style plans, they'd saved more money in those prior just eleven months than the entire school levy. So wow. that was really drove the word of mouth. In fact, that superintendent um, just retired from his role as superintendent, you know, as hard as that is to achieve that place to join our movement. He's like, there's 600 other school districts in Ohio that need this. And then many more beyond that. So he's out there spreading the word. And that's what happens locale by locale. This is the way things change. It, it happened in, you know, like farmer markets and the local food movement. It happened in the green building movement, right? It happens locale by locale. Yeah, it's uh, so. How many how many advisors uh, are there at Health Rosetta right now? Yeah, there's uh, uh, over two hundred, and you know they collectively cover the whole country. Um, so we have things pretty well covered, uh, from that standpoint. Um, and, uh, yeah, but th there's about 200 of them. So let's say I am one of, I'm a listener and I'm in the healthcare industry, maybe, um, a broker benefit advisor is like, how, how does a benefit broker benefit advisor, you know, start to look to get, let's call it health, health Rosetta certified. Yep. I mean, they just can go on our site um, and there's information there. You know, it's, I think it says join us and they can indicate they'd like to do that. We do a cohort once a year. So, you know, we'll do something typically in the spring timeframe um, so they can put in, but we have a bunch of resources available to them um, on the site and they also can co-broker with folks who are in our program. That's one way that a lot of people step into it because maybe they're new to it. In fact, the, the guy in, in Ohio, you know, he, he stepped into it that way. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot of options. Just reach out to us there on our website. It's incredible. So 
I'll ask you one more question. Is there any, any lasting advice that you would give to the listeners about, you know, just making sure that they're taking the right steps with their healthcare, their benefits? Like what's that lasting piece of advice you want them to leave with? Work with people who are aligned and are transparent in what they do and how they get paid. Many good things fall out from there. It's powerful. And uh, where where can where can they find you? Yeah, I mean, you can just you know Google my name, and uh, I'm not the Sopranos producer, um, but uh, <laughs> if you find a Dave Chase, good good chance at Chase Dave on like Twitter and. LinkedIn, uh, Health Rosetta, as I mentioned, healthrosetta.org. Uh, it's not too hard to, to find me, and, and we love to hear from folks. And we'll make sure to put all the links that we talked about in the show notes. So anybody who wants to find Dave, whether it's on social, uh, you could just find it in the show notes as well. Well, Dave, it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed this talk. Uh, Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It was great chatting with you and thanks for the opportunity. And thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Everyone Hates Healthcare. If you have a healthcare story, we want to hear it. All you got to do is shoot me an email with my healthcare story in the subject line to my story at healthkarma.org. Also, Check out all the episode notes, resources, and more ways you can take control of your healthcare. All you got to do is just visit healthkarma.org slash podcast. While you're on there, help us out. Don't forget to drop us a rating, a review, and share it with all your family and friends. Can't wait to see you next week.